18. Revelation, the final book of the Bible. Today, chapter 18, our reading will take us from verse 9 down through the end of the chapter. Revelation 18, uh, from verse 9 down through uh, the end of the chapter. It was several weeks ago that uh, we began uh, to look at Revelation 17 and 18, which focus on the theme of Babylon. In chapter 17, in verses 1 through 6, we identified Babylon, and we said that Babylon represents worldliness. It represents human society apart from God, given over to unbridled idolatry and sexual immorality and pursuit of luxury and wealth. That Babylon represents an anti-Christian culture. And Babylon is a harlot, we said. It seduces many with its temptations. And then out of chapter 17, verses 7 through 18, uh, we saw that we saw something of Babylon's history. We saw the way that Babylon has allied itself with the beast, uh, representing ungodly civil government, which has arisen time and again throughout human history in different forms. Then last week, in chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, we considered Babylon's fall. We saw the future that yet awaits Babylon, that is, sudden destruction and judgment. You might say, well, when is it that this fall occurs? And we said, well, it happens on the one hand, As individual civilizations rise and fall, they come and go, and civilizations which seem, or which at the moment are very proud and self-assured and think they will last forever, someday are going to fall. But especially this judgment upon Babylon is going to come at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which this present world in its form will pass away and will come under the judgment of God. And so we saw that, the fall of Babylon. But now today, in verses 9 through 24, we're going to see something of the response to Babylon's destruction. And as we look at that response to Babylon's destruction, it's going to serve as a further incentive to us. In the words of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, to not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Might the Lord bless this uh, study of this lament for the city, lament for Babylon. Revelation 18, let's begin our reading at verse 9. And the kings of the earth, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold 
silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud, Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, And you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. This ends this reading uh, in God's word. Let's look now once again to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our... God in heaven, we thank you for a passage like this, which speaks so clearly to us about this world and its future. We pray, O Lord, that you would give us ears today to heed the things which are spoken by your word. We do indeed pray that we would love not this world or the things that are in it. But Lord, that we would love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. 
wonder what it would be like if you could attend your own funeral. What will the things be that are said? Well, I trust that you hope that there will be a little bit of crying and that a few people will miss you. I trust as well that you hope that there are memories of you or memories of one who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but I also trust that your hope is that your funeral, more than anything else, will be focused upon the great Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. That even in your death, that people's eyes would be turned to him. Well, what we have before us today in Revelation 18 is a funeral of sorts. It's a funeral uh, for Babylon. It's a funeral for this world as it comes under judgment and is no more. And we're told of many who were devoted to this world who have attended this funeral. And what is this funeral like? What is the world's funeral like? Well, we're told in this passage that it is a funeral of lamenting and of sorrow and of despair unlike any that you have heard before. Did you notice some of the language that we were uh, told, we were spoken of in verse 9, of kings that are weeping and wailing that are standing far off and crying out, alas and alas for this great city. Verse 11, that merchants are weeping and mourning for her. That they stand far off, weeping and mourning aloud, saying, alas, alas for the great city. That it is filled with shipmasters and seafaring men who are crying out what city was like the great city, as they throw dust on their hands and they weep and they're mourn, they mourn, uh, crying out. I want you to, you can think perhaps in your own mind of, of a scene that you've seen of somebody in great distress. So we're falling over in agony and in uh, sadness, weeping and crying and pouring out their hearts. Uh, in, in sadness. Well, dear friends, that's the image that we're given here in Revelation 18. That as the world goes to judgment, that it is a picture here of extraordinary uh, lament, of funeral dirges, of great sadness and despair without any hope at all for the people of this world. And in the same way that if you were able to look ahead to your own funeral and and attend your own funeral, that it might inform the way that you live your life now. So, dear friends, looking ahead in this inspired vision to the funeral of this world ought to affect the attitude that you and I have towards this world even now. We're going to look today at three points. First of all, I want us to see the lament over Babylon's destruction. The lament over Babylon's destruction. Secondly, we're going to consider the finality of Babylon's judgment. And then third and finally, we're going to rejoice over the Lord's vindication. 
So the lament over the city's destruction, the fi- or over Babylon's destruction, the finality of Babylon's judgment, and then third and finally rejoicing over the Lord's vindication. Well, first of all, in verses 9 through 19, we have a lament over Babylon's uh, destruction. It is indeed a scene of extraordinary despair. And in particular, we are told of three different classes of people that are wailing and weeping before the destruction of Babylon. The first of those is found in uh, verses 9 and 10, and it's the, the kings of the earth. This represents the mighty ones, all the kings and rulers and governors and statesmen and politicians who have indeed received their power and responsibility from God and should have served God in this high calling, but instead have allied themselves to ungodly culture and used their power to exalt themselves. Indeed, how many politicians have abandoned godly principles in order to gain votes and secure power and prestige and wealth? They have allied themselves to this ungodly world. And now we are told that these kings of the earth, the mighty ones, are helpless themselves as they see Babylon fall. And they weep over the fall of this great city. Notice how they, uh, they, they, they emphasize especially Babylon's might. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon. We had placed all of our hopes in you. We had We had allied ourselves to you, O Babylon, that we might be lifted up. And now with Babylon's fall comes their own fall as well. It's the kings wailing and weeping. The second class are those of the merchants of the earth. We're told of them in verses 11 through 17. They lament Babylon's destruction because because with Babylon's destruction they lose their market for luxurious uh, products. Uh, You'll remember how Babylon is uniformly represented, like back in chapter 17 and verse 4, that it is a woman arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. We read a lot of the luxury of Babylon's appearance. It is decked out with the best things of this world. And so we are told indeed that Because of Babylon's fall, now uh, no one uh, any longer has a taste for these goods. Uh, Verse 11, no one can buy their cargo anymore. And it begins to describe what this cargo is. It begins with those precious metals, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls. And then it speaks of uh, the costly garment fine linen and purple cloth and silk and scarlet cloth. And then that's followed by materials uh, for making luxurious things. Uh, uh, We're told all kinds of uh, uh, scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. And then we're told of various spices and ointments, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil. 
then we're, then we're told of the best of food and drink, wine and oil, and fine flour and wheat. And then livestock, cattle and sheep, and horses and chariots. And then that is followed even by the trading of human bodies. That is, slaves. Slaves, that is, human souls. Dennis Johnson says that commerce in human flesh is the last of Babylon's imports, the culmination of a decadent culture's ruthless pursuit of pleasure, whatever the cost to others. Here it shows, it reveals, as it were, the history of Babylon wherever it's appeared throughout the centuries in this world is given over ultimately and entirely uh, to luxury, even willing to enslave others to secure uh, such luxury. Rick Phillips says, that this, uh, speaking of Rome, that the citizens of Rome led lives of spectacular wealth and stunning opulence, that the riches of the ancient world were poured into the lap of Rome. And dear friends, as you think of it through human history, how many uh, items of luxury there, there were. You can visit many of the world's museums today and to see the uh, uh, the, the treasures of ancient civilizations and what treasures they were, uh, the artifacts that were made, extraordinary things. We, of course, have our own artifacts, our own luxuries uh, in a society uh, today. But Revelation here speaks of a day, dear friends, when this Babylon's economic system when all of this wealth, all of these treasures are going to come to no more, that, all, uh, that, that these merchants mourn and they say, alas for this great city, it was clothed in fine linen, it had purple and scarlet adorned with gold, jewels and pearls, it had all of this. How could a city this rich ever come down? And we're told in verse 17, in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. So there we have the kings who are uh, bewailing the loss of Babylon's power. We have the merchants who are bewailing the loss of Babylon's luxury. But now we have finally the third group, and that is the sailors who are wailing. There are four classes beginning in verse, seven, uh, yeah, verse 17. Uh, we're told there of shipmasters or captains, and then seafaring men, that is sea passengers intent on business, and then sailors, those who worked on ships and made their living on the sea, and then those whose trade is on the sea, manufacturers and those who uh, uh, engaged in industry uh, through uh, sea trade. And they also, those who had made their living off of uh, off of Babylon's uh, wealth, now also bewail Babylon's fall. What city was like the great city? These were those who had made uh, lavish profits from ungodly society, who cared only for money. And now they look at Babylon and they say, well, all that we once served is now gone. In a moment, it is lost. Dear friends, these three classes that we've talked about today, the kings and the merchants and the seafarers, 
These three classes represent here the despair that all who have sold their souls to gain this present world are going to experience someday. You have to understand, civil government in itself is a gift of God. We need godly people to serve. Doing, uh, 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 selling merchandise and making nice things can be done and, and to the glory of God as we serve Him. Uh, uh, participating in commerce and industry and uh, shipping things from one place to another, again, is a, is a good thing done for the the glory that can be done for the glory of God. But the problem is, is that all of these people had, as it were, given their souls over to this, had ignored the God who made them, and were trying to find all of their meaning, all of their life, all of their satisfaction in the things of this world. And he is saying that if you place all of your, if you try to find all of your satisfaction in the things of this world, that you are going to be left at the end in utter despair. Remember what Jesus himself says in Mark 8 and verse 36. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Here, this is speaking about the multitudes in our world who care not for their own souls, who care not for the living God, who pay no attention to His Word or to His worship because they are given over to the things of this world. They, they, they lose their own soul in order to gain the world. But you know the irony of it all is that in making such a purchase, they never really gain the world either. That's what this is saying. That at the end of the day, all that they gave their lives to is going to be lost in a moment. And that's why they're wailing. They sold their own soul for the things of this world, and here they see the things of this world slipping through their hands. The treasures and the riches of this world, which they sold everything to obtain, at the very end are going to come to nothing at all. Friends, that is only part of the story. Not only have they lost all that they sought to gain, but now at the end of it all, they face the eternal wrath of God for the heinous sin of worshiping other things rather than Him. Oh, we see here this lament over Babylon's uh, destruction. But now secondly... I want us to consider the finality of Babylon's judgment. And we see this in verses 21 through 23. We're going to come back to verse 20 under the final point. But then verse 21, um, we have an interesting kind of uh, lived out uh, parable. You know, whenever disaster strikes in America, uh, we often say, well, we're going to rebuild. Disaster comes, we will rebuild. That's not a bad thing. It's good to have a little bit of energy, of human industry, and so forth. I mean, it would be nice often if a dose of humility and godly dependence would accompany that as well. But dear friends, we are told here that when Babylon is finally destroyed, it will never be rebuilt. This final paragraph here in chapter 18 indicates, as one writer has said, the thoroughgoing 
irrevocable and irreparable character of Babylon's fall. To put it bluntly, when Babylon falls, it is done for. And so indeed, we have described, beginning in verse 21, a kind of reminiscent of the Old Testament prophets, a kind of acted out parable that symbolizes Babylon's complete and final destruction. We're told of a mighty angel. And, and a mighty angel who then, uh, children, he takes up a, a great stone, a, a heavy, heavy stone. It's like a millstone, we're told. And he then lifts it up, something bigger than you and I could lift up. This is a mighty angel who's lifting it up. We're told that he takes it and he heaves it into the sea. And it drops all the way down to the bottom of the sea. You know, a few, a couple years ago, uh, family and I were taking a walk out in Stanley Park in Westfield, and there was a pond in Stanley Park. One of my children, I won't say which one, was dribbling a basketball along the path, and suddenly uh, the ball hit a, a rock and right over into the pond. And it happened just to drift and drift and drift until it came to rest right in the very center of that pond. We went to the woods and tried to find the longest stick we could, and the stick was about that much short, and the ball wasn't going to move at all. And finally, though, uh, we were able to call the park rangers and come back the next day, and our basketball was found. Basketball floated. It finally was to be found. Well, friends, this millstone is no basketball in a pond. We're told that this millstone was heaved into the sea. And upon being heaved into the sea, it sunk down all the way to the bottom. And the word is this, so will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. But all which characterize this city will be no more. And in fact, that little phrase, no more is a phrase then that is found six times in verses 21 through 23. And listen to the loss that it describes for mankind. It says that with Babylon's destruction, the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, of beautiful music, that is made in this world, that people find satisfaction in and enjoy Babylon's destruction, they will experience it no more. Craftsmen of any craft, we are told, making things, that people find great joy and satisfaction in making things with their, with their hands and uh, creating things, world is full of amazing things that have been created, but we're told with Babylon's fall, these things will be no more. The sound of the mill. The sound of the mill, we are told, okay, uh, with its uh, purpose and meaning. And again, a creative activity is going to be no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And even the voice of bridegroom and bride, the beauty and the satisfaction of human love, we are told, will be heard in you no more. 
speaking of the finality of this final judgment, do you see what it's saying? That all the things which the people of this world, apart from God, find in God's common grace some level of satisfaction and joy in. And understandably so. But there is coming a day, dear friends, if you've devoted yourselves to those things, that those things will be no more at all. And instead, those who have served Babylon all of their days will be under the judgment of God. William Hendrickson says that the main point for us to observe is this, that the pleasure-mad, arrogant world with all of its seductive luxuries and pleasures, with its anti-Christian philosophy and culture, with its teeming multitudes that have forsaken God and have lived according to the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the mind, shall perish. The wicked shall suffer eternal despair, and this doom will not be complete until the day of final judgment. Do you see the despair that there is on this final day for all who have given themselves to the service of Babylon rather than the living God. And it's important that you and I, as it were, look squarely at the funeral day that is spoken of here. And we realize that this is reality. We allow that to affect the way that we live our lives now. Because each one of us is going to be tempted to give up Jesus Christ in order to gain the things of this world. Young people, you've grown up in church. You've heard about the Bible. You've heard about the Lord Jesus. You know what the Bible says about salvation in Him. But you know as you get older, you're going to see the things that non-Christians in this world engage in and give themselves to, the things that they're involved in, and you're going to find something appealing about that. And you're going to be tempted to say, I don't need Jesus anymore. I want that. That's something that you and I feel. We feel that temptation. And friends, the point is, when we feel that temptation, we need to remember the funeral day that's described here. And that all, all, all who have chased after Babylon sold their souls to the things of this world are in utter, utter despair and sadness on that final day. There is no joy. There's no lasting joy at all. Do you you see why 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You have one or the other ultimately as your God. You remember Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Money, material things, things of this world, which is your master, which is your God. And here it is saying, if you forsake the Lord to chase after this world, this is the end of it all. Do not do it you will experience the despair that these verses describe. And friends, even our human language cannot begin to describe the realities of this coming day of judgment. Oh, friends, 
That's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ and to look to him and to be saved, that we would realize that this present world is indeed passing away and that we are to serve the Lord chiefly as our master and king. But now let me move on thirdly and finally now to rejoicing over the Lord's vindication. Rejoicing over the Lord's vindication. You say this is a rather dark and dismal chapter, and it is indeed. And the reason that it's dark is to warn us so that we might not love the things of this world, but there is a moment of rejoicing in it, and it's found in verse 20. And actually, next week in chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through through 10, we're going to find this joy elaborated on. So we're going to talk much more about this joy next week, but just just a little bit this week. Because there we are told, in the midst of Babylon's destruction, these words, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. That the day of the world's wailing and weeping and crying out in despair is not just for some of God's people, but did you notice the language? Oh, heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, all of you, this is for you a day of rejoicing. There's joy in the coming judgment of this world. Why is that, you say? Why should Christians rejoice in the destruction of Babylon? Well, it's not necessarily that we should rejoice at the suffering of countless multitudes, but rather what we are taking great joy in is the display of God's justice and of the vindication of his own name. At the very end of, uh, in, in verse 23 and 24, we are told why this judgment is coming. It says, For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. That's language that should be for God alone. He is the great one. But the merchants had lifted themselves up as the great ones, putting themselves in the place of God. And then we're told that nations were deceived by your sorcery. That is, uh, Babylon had engaged in occult practices, uh, (coughs) other religions, false idolatries it had promoted. And then finally, verse 24, And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on earth. That is, that Babylon was a great persecutor of God's people. Do we not see it today throughout this world? Christians that are being put to death, Christians that are mocked and shamed, Christians that are excluded from society's life that are imprisoned in many places in this world. So it is that Babylon is responsible even for the blood of prophets and of saints. But this good news is, dear friends, that in the midst of this world that is indeed set against the Lord and set against the Lord's anointed, that there is coming a day of judgment when all will be made right. When the Lord is going to reign victorious, when those who have rebelled against him and sought to overturn his rule in the world will not be able to stand, but will come under the judgment of God. And that's what gives us hope 
Because, friends, what you and I as Christians have staked our very lives upon is this truth, that indeed the Lord God Almighty reigns, and He is doing a saving work in this world, and things as they are now will not forever be. You and I have staked our lives on that. You remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, that if in this life only... Uh, our hope is in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if this life in its present form is to go on forever with no change at all, and the ungodly, as it were, have the upper hand, and those who, who it seems have the most toys win, if that's going to go on like that, well, then we are of all, uh, we are of all people most to be pitied. But the very point is, is that if our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, The truth is, is that the Lord reigns and He rules. And that this present world is not going to go on in its present state forever and ever. But ungodliness will be judged. And those who belong to the Lord will rule and reign with Him forevermore. You know, in Revelation, here in chapter 18, uh, we were told of those six no-mores that there will be no more uh, uh, this great city, no more the sound of harpists and musicians, flute players, trumpets, no more the craftsmen of any craft, and how, how it contrasts with the other no mores that we read of in chapter 21 and verse 4, where we are told for the people of God, what are the things that we are going to have no more in the kingdom of heaven? We're told there that the Lord will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And that, dear friends, is the Christian's hope. So it is my desire here that each and every person in this room would not have to be among those who on that final day are lamenting the passing of Babylon. But rather that we can be among those who rejoice. And what does that mean for you and me right now? Well, it means that for you and me right now that we ought to be those who lament. But not so much lament the passing of Babylon as lament our own sin and our own worldliness and our own wicked hearts. And that lamenting these things, that you and I would go to that place where true joy is to be found. Not in the things of this world, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if our hope is set upon Him, that hope will never disappoint us. He will be a source of true joy. Now, and on that day of judgment, and then forevermore. So even as we come to the table today, might we come bewailing our own sins, grieving those, lamenting those, but then having looked at our own sins, looking square in the face of Jesus, who is our only hope. Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you 
that you and your mercy have revealed this final funeral for Babylon, that you've told us of the future and of Babylon's sure destruction. Lord, we live in a world right now where the vast majority of people have given themselves over to this world and the things that are in it. They've ignored you, the living God. They do not worship you. They do not seek to glorify you. And Lord, we know our own hearts that we are prone to go astray. Lord, we are so prone to leave the God that we love. We ask, O Lord, our God, that this view today of Babylon's future would so remind us that the source of of all lasting joy is to be found in you and in the Savior whom you have sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him alone. Oh, cause our hearts to be cleaved to you. Take our hearts, Lord. Take and seal them. Seal them for your courts above. We pray these things in Jesus' name.